I'm Andrea Gwendolyn, co-founder and CEO of Be Visible, and I'm here to tell you about our mission and values. Welcome to Mission and Values, a backstage capital podcast about remarkable startup cultures led by underrepresented founders. I'm your host, Brian Landers. My guest today is Andrea Gwendolyn, the co-founder and CEO of Be Visible. For full disclosure, Backstage Capital is an investor in Be Visible. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Can you tell us what is Be Visible? Be Visible is a career platform and a social network to connect Latinx to each other and to talent and opportunities. In a nutshell. (laughs) Ah, that's great. That's very clear. How would you describe the mission that you and your team are working hard towards each and every day? The real mission is very simple, is to build social capital, to connect us to more opportunities, to more people, to more resources, to become more aware of what is out there and who we can become so that we are able to go and do it. Uh, Many times Latinos grow up in close communities of immigrants and they hang up with families and a small circle of people. Many of them are the first ones in their families to go to college, so they're first-generation college students, which means that the parents didn't expose them professionally to many things. And so they end up going to college and sort of like being a little bit in these smaller circles. You know, many of them stay where they grew up. And the idea is that we connect Latinos to each other so that they can stay in this intimate setting that we, you know, we're still used to and we still feel more comfortable in. But it's an intimate setting that is expanding so you can see more of what is out there. And so we become each other's mentors because many times our parents and the definition of success really doesn't apply to this generation of Latinos. As much as they love us, as much as they want the best for us, they might not understand what is success for us. So we need to like compare notes with others like us. That's wonderful. Latinx is still a fairly new term. Can you share for people what Latinx means and how that word came to be? It's very interesting. We were at the very origin of that word. And Latinx is the way that many young Latinos are referring to themselves. It's a word that is gender neutral, meaning that you can be of any gender. Latinos was always like associated with being a male, right? And uh, chauvinistic culture and so there's like a little bit of energy there right Uh and so this latinx is gender neutral it's a way that young latinos are like fully acculturated but yet very proud of their cultural origin or referring to themselves but it also implies like a modern twist a new generation type word it's a word that we have fully embraced at Bevisible at the very, very beginning. And in fact, we kind of became a little bit famous or, you know, got a lot of interviews about that because we were using that word before anyone was. Excellent. So part of what your product does is professional connections for Latinx community. Yes. And a popular service for that is LinkedIn. And I'm sure as a startup founder, you always hear, you know, why does this need to exist? But according to a Pew Research study, only 22% of Latinx are on LinkedIn. I have 18% in my, my peer research. <laughs> ah, I just Googled it last night to try to see if the unupdated number. Ah, maybe they increased. But that's okay. 18 to 22 is roughly the same thing in my mind. Less than a quarter. Why do you think that is? 
So 18%, just so we do this comparison correctly, 18% of Latinos versus 28% of African-Americans and 30% of whites. And that's in LinkedIn, right? So they're like severely underrepresented where we are overrepresented in every other social media platform by the same 10 percentage points. So we are over-indexed in Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram by 10 percentage points to whites and African-Americans. That's fascinating. Right? That's the important thing. We are an extremely socially connected generation, the most socially connected generation of Latinos ever. But we're like the most underrepresented group on LinkedIn. The explanation, I think, is simple. Once you hear it, it's simple, which is that this massive input into a workforce of educated young Latinos are normally first-generation college students. Mm -hmm. That means they come from families without professional backgrounds. That means that they normally go to colleges and universities without strong alumni networks. And even if they do have good alumni networks, they normally don't have Latino alumni networks. And they are used to network an environment and a family environment. Uh, a lot of cousins, big families, big kind of community. And we are very also attached to our cultural roots. We really prefer to stay within the culture when we connect. All those factors basically lead you to a different type of networking, where really the connection is not based on bragging and the amount of connections you have and the best sort of like resume entries you have, because probably you didn't have that much exposure to internships because you didn't have an uncle that was a professional that could get you the internship to begin with. So on BBC, you're not measured by the number of connections and you're not measured by the amazing resume. Instead, you know, your role in the community becomes valuable if you start to become more visible, to give advice to others, to help others in connecting to others in the community. And so your profile visibility raises with the amount of community involvement that you engage with. And basically what happens is that this is a community where people then start investing in each other's success. So it becomes a place for where we're all being upwardly mobile and that paves the way to Latino millennial engagement, a sense of community. That's the most important aspect for us is community. That's wonderful. What a great sort of reframing of the network and rewarding what actually benefits everyone and not just sort of the vanity stuff that seems to be predominant on sites like LinkedIn. And I would say that it's a fairly millennial approach. I mean, this is a Latino approach, the community approach, but it's, I think it applies to millennials in general where they're much more community-oriented and kind of like they don't even believe in private property. They don't have cars. They don't have houses. They don't, you know, it's just more like right. experiences. And one of those experiences is helping each other. Yeah. There's a couple of statistics that are pretty, I think, like impactful and also meaningful to what you're doing, which is that 30% of the U.S. population, I think, and workforce, I may have that number wrong, by 2050 will be Latinx. No, you have the right number. Okay. There's only 4% of Latinx in the tech industry, which is very underrepresented, I think, also. So just to give you an idea, so we're right now 55 million Latinos in the U.S., right? Okay. And right now, if the Latinos in the U.S. were a country, like in terms of economic output, we will be the second largest Latino country in the world after Spain, and we will be the 12th largest economy in the world. Oh, wow. That's incredible. If we were a country, just the Latinos in the U.S., right? Now, these 55 million Latinos right now will become 100 million Latinos in 2050. And you're right because the population in the U.S. will go from 300-something to 400 million 
in which Latinos will be 100 million, which will be a fourth of the country in 2050, right? So that means that we will like a huge percentage of the population. And also this is going to be a very young population, as we can see, because we're going to go from 55 to 100 million, right? We will like double in size because we're a young population. Right. And because immigrants are having more children than the rest of the United States, because they come from Mexico, they still are like come from places where having a lot of children is valued, almost like an economic status symbol. I mean, that will change eventually. Next generation will not be like that. But we still are the ones that are like sort of like regenerating the country. Yeah. And so listen up, everyone, because this impacts everyone's business, everyone's market, no matter what business you're in, this population will be your customers, if nothing else. Exactly. So this definitely makes sense that Be Visible needs to exist. Before we dive further into the culture that you're building at Be Visible, I'd love to learn just a little bit more about your background as a founder. I believe you live in Colorado now, but you're originally from Chile. Is that right? I live in Boulder, Colorado. Yes. So I actually was born in Oakland, California. Oh, okay. Believe it or not. My father was a foreign student. He was getting his PhD at UC Berkeley in seismic engineering because, you you know, Chile is a country full of seismic activity. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. My father was a second generation. His father was an immigrant. His mother was an immigrant. My mother is an immigrant from Romania. So I'm coming from a family of immigrants from first generation from my mother's side and first generation Chilean and from my father's side, second generation Chilean. And his family, his father had a department store, so a, a company really that he started from scratch. But of course, as all immigrants, when they want their children to become professionals and go into something more like engineer, that was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm the second, I mean, the third generation after that of my grandfather and I went back to become an entrepreneur because I mean like I want to be like more you know more like my grandfather than than like my father in a way my father died when I was very young his father had died very young he inherited the family business had to go from being a a PhD academic to be a business guy I don't think he was he loved it but he he did it and then he died and then you know then eventually the family business went bankrupt but I always had that in my family, the business. The business was the source of, of everything, you know, the family business. And so, so I was born in Oakland. I grew up in Chile. In Chile, you go directly to professional school. You don't go to college. You sort of like college is professional school. It's like in Europe. Okay. So I went to law school. I didn't like it at all. But I was like, well, I'm going to help my father in the business. And for that, I need to become savvy about you know, law and all these things. And my father was very impressed and it was so great. And he died. <laughs> and I was like, well, now what? Mm-hmm. And then I, as soon as I graduated from law school in Chile, I went to work in Chile. I hated it. And I saw some of my cohorts that have graduated from law school, guys that were not much worse students than me, but they were, some of them, right? Some of them were very good, but <laughs> they were already going to law school. So they Mm, The smart guys in my class are going to law school. So I did the same. I followed the guys (laughs) (laughs) and I applied to the U.S. schools and I got into Harvard and I and I left Chile and I never came back. Wow. And that was about I think I read about the age of 25 that you came to America. Yes, I was 25. And all the Chileans that leave to go to graduate school, I don't know anyone that have stayed in the U.S. They all go back because it's a great country. There's a very economically stable, you have this fa- family, you have a great life. 
So, I mean, no one really leaves to stay. Very unusual. It's very unusual. I stayed and I came like single. I mean, normally, you know, you come to study you at that time when I left you, you're supposed to be married. Or So I remember when I, I moved to Boston and everybody would ask me, where's your husband? Like, who, who are you married to? Like, why are you here, basically? And I'm like, well, I'm here to study, but where is your husband? I'm like, no, I don't have a husband. And they were shocked. It was shocking. Like, that's how backward it was. Wow. <laughs> I wonder if that's changed at all since then. Yeah, it changed a lot. Maybe not. No, it has changed dramatically. That's good. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> and you became a practicing lawyer, is that right? So first, my first job out of law school, because I hated being a lawyer and I remember how much I hated it. I was like, I'm going to try to do something else. <laughs> and I got a couple of jobs, one at the Inter-American Development Bank, doing education work in Latin America. But I was like, okay, this is too similar to Chile. And then I worked for a non-for-profit called the Center for the Advancement of Hispanics in Science and Engineering Education as the Associate Executive Director in Washington, D.C. And a little bit what we're doing that with DBC, we're, we're bringing kids, college kids from Hispanic-serving institutions, majoring in STEM at the time that STEM was not a word, because this was 1998, right? Right, yeah. And we would give them leadership trainings with the Department of the Secretary of this, and this, you know, like we'll expose them to all these amazing people. And I did that for a year, and I realized that all my friends from law school were kind of like going out to dinner and traveling, and I was like, <laughs> horrible salary. And I was like, well, if I'm going to stay in this country, well, I guess I'll try to do what Americans would do. And I took the bar, and I, I got a job in New York. But this entrepreneurial DNA you have couldn't sit still, huh? No, no. So, I mean, I love working in a New York law firm. What I really liked was my business role in the New York firm. So... I joined Devo Boys and Plimpton, a really good firm at the time, one of the top firms in New York. And they hired me because they had been hired to represent the financiers of the toll roads that were being built in Chile. So all the toll roads that didn't exist, right? They were all being built and they were all being financed by our client. So I was instrumental as a relationship business person because I would like translate really the business and the issues in Chile and in the U.S. And I would like be able to connect with my clients that were like these Latinos, multicultural. Mm -hmm. And so what I really liked about that job was my, my business role. But I hated the part of drafting documents and the details <laughs> I hated. And I really wasn't good at that. Which is a big part of it, right? A huge part, but I was like, <laughs> I'm really bad at that. <laughs> and so flashing forward a little bit, who is your co-founder and what's the story of why you decided to join forces and start Be Visible? What sparked that? So my two co-founders right now, one is Silvia Travesani, who is the one who I started this with. And the second one is Jose Barrios, who is our CTO. And at some point we had a younger Latina that now went into politics, Nicole Castillo, as part of our team as well. Basically, my initial co-founder was Silvia Travesani. She comes from the ad tech world and kind of like worked for many companies, uh, monetization and gaming. I had this idea, this name, this, this whole concept of Latino and I wanted to do a platform. And she had started building a platform for women and someone introduced us and we said, well, let's do this together. Hey there, this is just a quick side note about something we're excited about here at Backstage Capital, and that is HBCU VC. Our managing partner, Arlen Hamilton, is a mentor there. She interviewed the founder recently on our other podcast, The Bootstrapped VC. 
HBCUVC is a not-for-profit organization that gives students attending historically black colleges and universities the chance to earn real-world experience in tech and venture capital. Student investors get matched with top VCs who are also people of color. Some are even HBCU alums. It's an important new program that you should be aware of, whether you're interested in applying, sponsoring, or getting an edge on other investors by getting to know the next generation of innovators and investors. Check it out online at hbcu.vc. And now let's get back to this interview with Andrea Gwendelman of Be Visible. And what was it that made you make the leap to wanting to start this, to leave that at least seemingly more secure job of being a lawyer, even though you, I know you didn't love a lot of the parts of the process there? My, I was well on my path by then. I was well on my path to, of entrepreneurship by then. I started thinking of BBC in 2014, maybe early 2014, mm-hmm. in the summer of 2014, actually. I had moved to Boulder in 2011. And when I moved to Boulder, I decided I wasn't going to be a lawyer anymore. My last job was in New Mexico as a lawyer. And when I moved here, I said, I'm going to try something else. And actually, I thought I wanted to be a film, you know, an editor. So I went to film school in New York. I took film classes in Colorado. Like I was like, I wanted to do something creative. When I visited Chile, just at the beginning of moving to Boulder, I met with some people in Chile this was with El Mercurio, which was the largest newspaper in Chile. And they, we went to different events because the music is so competitive. Well, I said, you know, I just moved to Boulder and it seems like entrepreneurship and events around entrepreneurship are the big thing. I told them about what I've seen here. I sent them some videos. They didn't understand very much. But when they went to sell a music concert to Virgin Mobile, which was opening shop in Chile, they said, no, we're actually on the entrepreneurship line. My contact at, the, at Mercurio said, show them the video that I had sent them. And he said something like this. And they said, yes. And they bought that event for $100,000. That was our first client. Nice. And after that, we said, oh, let's do this big. We brought Al Gore, the Vendra Banhart, the Vodka, 10,000 people. We raised a million dollars, including from the government of Chile. Incredible. And that was my first incursion into entrepreneurship. We brought everyone to Chile, Techstars, Asti, I mean, you name it, every accelerator, every person, and everybody loved Chile. And that's how I got involved in the innovation world. That was my first entry, it was a super success event. Now this event is all over Latin America, everywhere, like, I don't know, 20 places in Latin America. And it has a different name and I'm not involved, but we started something huge there. So when I came back, I said, well, I can't do this in Chile anymore but I have to do it here. And I did a women's event in Boulder. 2013 was at the beginning of the women's movement when really no one was talking about it. And I created an event called Startup Phenomenon Women. We brought a thousand women to the University of Colorado Boulder. We raised a hundred thousand dollars in two months. And we did this event and I got really connected to the whole kind of female tech people in, in the US that way. That's how I also met Isaac Saldana, the founder of SendGrid, who is now one of our, my investors. His company just IPO'd. going to IPO for $100 million. So yeah, he's the founder, a Latino, exactly who we're representing with Divisible. Latino from California, like went to a state school, UC Riverside, started this company, now sold, is selling it for $100 million. What I think is so interesting is that because of that women's event, because one of the people from SendGrid sponsor us and they said oh Andrea you should meet Isaac because he's Latino blah 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 mm-hmm. we talked we met and I, a couple of months later I said Isaac I really 
I wanted to run this by you, but I think that the issue with the innovation economy in the U.S. is not women. It's not that I don't care about women, but the really thing that bothers me is the Latinos. Like, they're not present. And I lived in New Mexico, and I can tell you that I feel like this, the talent is there. Why, why are we not anywhere? And he said, yes, I agree. And we started talking about, until he became our investor, I, mean, we, I brainstormed Vivisio with him four years ago. What a great start and such impressive beginnings with the events and then meeting the right people that led to all the things that made it possible for you to start Be Visible. It's clear that you are passionate about helping women realize their potential. I love that your Twitter username is at Future of Women, for example. Everyone definitely follow Andrea at Future of Women. <laughs> and on your website, on your about page, you share something titled NK Crimos, which I think translates to, is that what do we believe in? Is that right? Yeah, well, we have to update that because it's a little bit old. When it's, it's from when we were just a women's platform. Because we started just as a women platform. Ah, just for Latinas. Okay, I got it. Yes. One thing that you mentioned in there, I would imagine is still true, and I want to see what your reaction is. But you said that you believe we can live in a world where women who look like us and speak like us are leaders, role models, and innovators. Can you share more about what that belief means to you? I mean, I think that we're writing a movement that when we started BBC, it was kind of at the very, very beginning of the movement, you know, but right, we're well into a movement right now in which we, we Latinas are becoming empowered. What I saw in, in New Mexico and I, what I saw of myself really as Latina was that we are brought up with a very traditional set of cultural values and beliefs. And they're very centered about being a wife and a mother, Right and getting married, and like the family, and the whole thing. We always feel guilty about taking these like leadership roles, and sort of like being a little bit more out there, and being ambitious, even though Latinas are starting business at a rate of a small business formation in America, higher than any other population in the country. So obviously we're ambitious, but there's always this like holding back to ambition, and not showing it so much, right? Not being so evident, because you are a mother, you're a wife, you are supposed to play a second, sort of like a supporting role. I mean, this is this kind of like awareness of, you know, we can actually break out the stereotypes and, you know, create new stereotypes. And we're doing this together with the first ones. And it's painful sometimes, but it's necessary. I agree. So thank you for taking action to make that actually happen. It's not simple. It's not simple to change your, the stereotypes and the roles that you've seen, you know, play out for generations and change them and feel like good about it all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, having role models, like you said, in that belief is a huge part of it. And, huge. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So I think the role models and we becoming role models, really telling others that, you know, they can do it, you know, it's okay. Yep. So now turning to your team and your company culture... How many employees do you have now? And do you all work out of the same location or is anyone remote? No, actually, we're a completely remote team. Everybody works somewhere else. So our CTO is in Victoria, Canada. Our community manager is in Chicago. I'm in Boulder. And we have various interns and ambassadors all over the country, in San Francisco, in LA, in everywhere. Very cool. So we have a team of like 10 right now give and take, but they're all somewhere else. It's all virtual and it all works really well. Yeah. Tell me more about that. I'm so with remote teams, it's so interesting how the dynamic gets set up. So how do you as a remote team communicate? And well, so we use Slack. Slack. Yep. Everything. We use Slack and then we have calls once a week with the team. 
once a week I have a call with the CTO and the um, and our community manager. And also we have a new investor coming in that I'm so excited about. Uh, awesome. Another one. And he's just coming in with all his sales team. So that will change the dynamics. We'll see how, you know, but we're very excited. He's Latino as well from New Mexico. He and all his siblings come from an immigrant family and the parents were like middle class and they wanted the kids to succeed and they all ended up going to Harvard you know, so he's an art story of success or an immigrant success. And he's our newest investor, putting a chunk of money right now in the business and a lot of mentorship and also bringing his team. So that will change in how we talk to them in terms of his team. But to be honest, I don't know if I'm the best manager or not, because I'm very hands off. I really trust the team. Everybody in the team is doing this for the right reasons. They know what they're doing better than I do. So we discuss priorities with my CTO, of course. But I defer a lot to him. With my community manager, of course, we discuss priorities. Now we're all like focused on sales and sales and sales. And that's everything. And everybody's on the same page. But I let people do what they have to do. I know that we all have the same goal in mind. And I don't feel like I know more than others. The only thing is that I know what is the budget. So I know what we can spend and we can't. That's all. I think that's great. I mean, you know, autonomy is huge for remote teams because there's going to be times where you know, different time zones where people can't reach each other. So you, they have to have their clearly, you know, decoupled tasks that they can do during that time, right? Yeah, no, we're very like, ah, sorry, we have another member of the team here in Boulder, a newest member of the team, a salesperson. He's in Boulder, but I don't see him either. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's funny. <laughs> he comes to a couple of events, but we are connected on Slack by phone, but no, yeah, I, don't, I really don't need to see them. I mean, I think it's great to see people once in a while. So my co-founder, who is now like basically, she kind of like stepped back for a little bit from the business because she wanted to do some other things. And But we're like very close and we, we, you know, we meet, we talk. But probably, for example, at the beginning, she had this, she wanted us to have a, an office and we're all in the same place. And I think it's not a bad idea. Just I don't think it's necessary. You know, whoever comes next in terms of like being the COO or something like that might have different ideas. I'm open to everything. Mm -hmm. Right now, this works for me. I'm curious too, you know, hearing some of that about the remote culture, what makes someone a good fit for the Be Visible team? Actually, is speaking Spanish a requirement too? No, but we all do. No, but actually our sales guy is American. He's not even Latino. He's from Fort Collins. He just thought it was a great business idea to sell. He's like a sales expert and he wanted to join us. And we're like, oh, well, he also has very of the similar life experiences. Like he was accepted into Berkeley, but he didn't go because it was too expensive. And he went to a state school for Collins. And, you know, he's a, very much like many Latinos we meet, you know, you know, in the sense that comes from middle class and, you know, doing the best he could do with the information that he received. Yeah. And he's like, well, I want my kids now to be able to like, if they want to go to Berkeley, to be able to do that. Right. I mean, that, that's, you know, but I think many of the Latinos are like that. And I asked Isaac Saldana, who went to UC Riverside, which is a great school, but he's like, he probably could have gone to MIT, Stanford, anywhere he wanted, but it wasn't in the Raiders screen. Right. Yeah. You know, so he's not Latino, but he blends, I feel. And we don't have to be Latino to work on BBC. You don't have to. We're almost all of us are, though, except for James. You have to be super passionate about what we're doing. You have to be completely self-directed because you're not going to get direction from me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you get direction from Michelle, but who is our community manager, but you're not going to get direction from me. You're going to get only like 
bring me ideas and I would say, go do it or like, you know, but well, we'll check with Michelle first. The right kind of person would love that. Right. I don't know. I don't micromanage at all. You know, since your product and your mission are so focused on helping this specific demographic of Latinx, what does diversity and inclusion mean for you as a CEO as you grow the team? Well, this is very interesting. So I, for example, think that it's great to have all sorts of like people from like state schools, from different like geographic locations, from Ivy League schools, right, from everything. That's one diversity. I want to make sure that we just we have everyone represented that we are representing. Right. Right. Second, I think it's important to have non-Latinos in the team like James. I actually talked with Isaac about that. And he's, you know, it's important to have non-Latinos in the team. To let the we're diverse, right? No, we're just not like all Latino, you know, eventually we are part of the larger country. Also ha- trying to have like different types of Latinos. Oh, Michelle is Ecuadorian, I'm Chilean, there's Mexicans, there's like all sorts of different origins, national origins in the team. Yeah, that makes sense. How does the team at Be Visible deal with failures, which are so inevitable in startups? Oh, I've been very lucky with my team because we had so many failures. Uh, my team has been so loyal, like Michelle and Jose, all the interns, all the ambassadors, they've been so loyal see us because they're cheering for us. They really, we're trying to figure this out together, you know, and they were very patient with me because I don't, I didn't have a strategy, right? I mean, to be honest, I started, I had a vision of what I wanted this to be. I had a huge vision, but I didn't know how to fulfill this vision. I had no idea how, like I didn't have the steps. I mean, I, of course I did the steps, build the product, but you know, I, I didn't have like a layout plan. I remember some people at the beginning got really pissed off with me. It's like, you, got, you don't have a strategy. I'm like, no, I don't because I don't know wh- how, you know. I mean, first I wanted to build a community, but I didn't know how. It's so hard to build a community, so hard. And it's the, no recipe. If there was a recipe, a lot of people would have built communities online. Yeah, you wouldn't need a startup, right? <laughs> right, it's so difficult. So it's like, I don't regret not having had a strategy. I think that... It would have been a lot more smart to have a monetization strategy from the very beginning. But we went the, the really heavy way in which, like, you know, we'll do this community. It will be huge. And then, like, the money will come. Who cares, right? That was too heavy. <laughs> and I regret that. Yes, I do. On the other hand, it has built, like, a really authentic community that has never been driven by the money. Yeah. You know, so and now it's, there's money, but it's going to be money that is aligned with serving our users, which is giving the opportunities and jobs and things that they want, you know. And you have a team. I had a team. You have a talented team. Well, but now we're bringing the team to make it happen, like Isaac, Saldana, Tom, Chavez. These are people like, you know, business people that will really like be key with giving us strategic guidance. I've been very lucky with attracting the right people at the right time. <laughs> I'm not the amazing at but I'm good at is recognizing when I don't have skills or when I don't have certain things and I will acknowledge and defer to who can help me and who can help this company. That is an amazing skill as a founder. I think that is humble and also just probably required to truly succeed. I mean you have to be like super kind of like let go because you there's nothing you can do. You know, this thing doesn't happen alone. On that team note, what was a recent win you had as a team and how did you celebrate? Like, what did you actually do to celebrate the win? We just landed Pinterest as a client. Ooh, nice. Excellent. And we don't do anything to celebrate because we live far away. (laughs) You don't even have on Slack, like the Kairos team, who's another backstage portfolio company, 
they do like success tacos through Slack. Oh, that's cool. I should do that. I know I didn't know. Like, we're not that savvy. Just silly. It's silly. No, I know. I know. It's, I like silly, but no. The Astral AR team, they make up their own internal memes and they share those, you know, little gifts and things. That's awesome. But you don't have to have anything. I'm just curious if you do, because it adds a little bit of, you know. No, we don't. We're like lame. I have to tell my team lame. we're lame. Not lame at all. Yeah, we are. We are lame. But it's never too late to start doing gifts, I guess. Yeah. I, I have so much to learn, you know. Yeah. No, okay, the work is fascinating. We're doing fascinating work, you know. It's just fascinating what we're doing. Like, think about it. Like, we're like disrupting a huge industry we are doing something never has been done we're like a for us bias network social network i mean it's just groundbreaking stuff you know well said yeah and on that note what's next for be visible ah one thing i want to say go for it is that we're looking for companies awesome companies that want to hire latinx talent to post jobs so we have a new job posting board and now we're enlisting companies and now we have you can join companies as progressive as Pinterest, as progressive as MoveOn.org, as progressive as the Tipping Point community, Me Too, and Citizen Schools, and post your jobs on BBC. That is awesome. Those are amazing companies. So that's some amazing traction right there for you, growing partnerships like that. I know. We have the best partners. <laughs> really like, yeah. We're snobs all the way around. From the investors we have, <laughs> including Backstage Capital, <laughs> Isaac Saldana, don't, <laughs> to like, you know, the companies we work with. So it's okay. That's fine. We are honored to be in the Cool Kids Club with you, Andrea. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. And that will open a whole set of doors and new avenues. And I don't know what they are yet, but I'm sure they will be. I'm sure too. Andrea, it's wonderful that you saw the opportunity for Be Visible. And now it exists because you did all the hard work to make that happen and you're all working together towards that mission. You know, returning to that core belief you have of creating a world where women who look like us and speak like us are leaders, role models, and innovators. Well, that is you, Andrea. You are the role model. (laughs) You are certainly a role model for other Latinas. And I think you're inspiring to any entrepreneur. So props for that. And for anyone listening who wants to learn more about Be Visible's mission and follow along, where can they go? They can go to, for now, bevisible.soy, bevisible.soy, or email me at andrea at bevisible.soy. What about uh, Twitter? Twitter, at Future of Women or Bevisible Latinx. Keep up the great work, and thank you so much for your time today, Andrea. Thank you for this opportunity, Brian. I really appreciate it. You can find show notes at backstagecapital.com slash mission and values. I'd love to hear your ideas and feedback about the show. Come and find me on Twitter. I'm at Brian Landers. That's Brian with a Y. You can also email greenroom at backstagecapital.com. The theme music is by Shane Ensley. Hear more at kneebody.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for next time on Mission and Values.